I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophet of Rage. And this is Newsbeat. Hey, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, wherever you're listening to us or watching us. Uh, it's Newsbeat, the award-winning podcast that tackles social justice issues, mixes it together with music, very often incorporating original hip-hop verses by brilliant independent rap artists. And we're back. It's a new year, new you, same us. We're doing something new. Lately, a few episodes ago, we started rocking it on the video tip. So please, if you're interested in what we do and you listen to us on audio, do know that we're also putting things on YouTube. Some people prefer the visual look to what we do. So check us out on uh, YouTube at Newsbeat. In the meantime, in between time, I'm back. Uh, it's yours truly, Manny Faces, the host and editor and co-producer, along with the journalists in charge. Uh, we have our managing editor, Rashid Mian, and our editor-in-chief, Christopher Tawarski. Happy What's New Year, on? fellas. How you doing? I got gotcha. you. Doing all right. Doing all right. We uh, are keeping things going with the, the Newsbeat way of life over here. We've been tackling uh, a number of uh, issues in the background that we're going to be working on and releasing as full episodes in the next coming weeks and months. We saw a opportunity here to tackle something timely and important and ongoing, uh, which we do when we get the chance. And uh, so I want to talk about it. Of course, this episode really focusing on the ongoing tragic situation uh, in Gaza, the war, the conflict, the genocide, perhaps. Let's talk about it uh, between Israel and the Palestinian people. Uh, and that's sort of the crux of the episode Christopher, why don't you kick it off? Let us know a little bit of what we're getting into. And if you wouldn't mind, why y'all decided to pursue this topic at this time in this way? Yeah. So Rochette and I, for a long time, have wanted to do an episode on the International Criminal Court, uh, focusing on its, its many, many defects. And we're still going to eventually put that episode out. But at the same time, uh, along with the rest of the world, we're watching on TV, we're seeing the devastation, we're seeing the suffering. We're seeing the horrors that are taking place in Gaza. And we heard that South Africa had filed a motion before the International Court of Justice, basically charging Israel with genocide. You know, I'm a big fan of democracy now, Rashad is too. And I watched a recent episode and Amy Goodman had an incredible guest on there, Francis Boyle. So we reached out and we got him. Uh, now, he's a professor of international law at the University of Illinois College of Law. But more pertinent to, to this issue, he was the first lawyer ever to win anything on the Genocide Convention from the International Court of Justice in The Hague. And he won a massive overwhelming order, the Republic of Bosnia-Herzegovina against Yugoslavia to cease and desist all acts of genocide against the Bosnians back in the 90s. Mm. That case, that South Africa case before the International Court of Justice is coming up this week. And we decided really as a, as a public service to pull together this, this episode with his interview um, as soon as possible and get this out there. Um, and that's why we're here. Yeah, Pretty dope. Rashad, your thoughts? No, I just think it's um, important to get this out there. I also don't know because I don't follow a lot of mainstream coverage. Mm. I just don't know um, how comprehensive they're covering this letter from South Africa to the ICJ. Oh, so it's the first time I heard about it. And I do watch, you know, some bit of mainstream news coverage. So, yeah, that's I'm not going to say that's surprising to me. But, I, you know, uh, before <laughs> we, before this recording, Chris and I spoke 
and we talked about it. And I said, I do think that there's a level of um, the mainstream media. The reason why they're not covering this is because I think the U.S. government itself and other governments that that support Israel have probably done a good enough job of trying to just say that this isn't actually going to happen. This is just like something that's on the side. Don't take it seriously. So even if the ICJ rules in South Africa's favor, I think it's still going to be dismissed just because the way in which that the U.S. has talked about this in support of Israel. Dismissed in that it won't really make a big splash. Yeah, dismissed that it won't make a big splash, but also just from John Kirby's own words, calling it meritless and counterproductive. So Ah, just just outright dismissing it, even though it's an 82-page letter that details (laughs) extraordinarily. And I think everybody should read it legitimately. I know we say that a lot. But like, even if you just skim it, there's just so much information in there and it sort of distills all the horrors that we've seen over the last, what, three months now. And it's just, it's just horrifying to read. Right. So, um, dismissing it in that way. And also I'm just going to be honest, you know, we're journalists, we love doing this work, but there's a lot of journalists out there who just take the state department and other government agencies for their word. And if they are the ones that are just basically saying, just look the other way, don't worry about this. Downplaying it. Downplaying it. I think the media does the same thing. You know, for example, I still get the, you know, the weekend edition of the New, the New York Times. So I open it up this Sunday. That would be a perfect opportunity for the most read day of the of the week of the New York Times to, you know, lay out the genocide case, why this is abhorrent, give context. And even if you want to bring in another voice to dispel it and say, you know, whatever, um, they didn't do that. But, you know, instead of and they didn't write they didn't have any Gaza coverage on a one of the paper on Sunday. What they did have was um, it's it's Hollywood award season. So how are these elite actors going to respond to Israel and Gaza while they're up at the podium accepting their awards? Meanwhile, just mm. one day before, over 100 people in Palestine were killed. Just a, a massive number. Again, I, I, I guess that because there's been so much death that for them, they're like, we can't cover this every day. But, you know, people are, are dying. It's horrific. That's yet another reason why we want to come back to this, this issue, because it's not going away. It's one of the most horrific things we've seen. And we've seen a lot of bad stuff, as we've documented. Yep. In previous episodes, especially with the war on terror, um, so I think it's important to just uh, to bring this to light and and provide some context. Yeah, I think it's also you know the word itself, words matter and concepts matter, and this being viewed as a genocide uh, or being co- debated whether that that it meets some kind of threshold or what have you. I think it's important to understand why there are thresholds and what it means to cross those thresholds. And what that looks like and what that really, really looks and sounds like, as you as you say, is detailed, pretty, um, pretty in depth way. So as all as almost always, when y'all bring something to the table as someone who's not in the weeds journalistically with the issue, it's kind of news to me. It's something that I know, know about just like most regular people, but certainly don't know the depth. So, again. Newsbeat doing what we do, bringing it to light. Uh, this won't be a full episode in that we won't have rap artists and, and things intertwined. We'll have our mood, mood music. We'll, we'll vibe it out a little bit. But it's more of a conversation with, uh, with our guest, uh, Francis Boyle, uh, who's uh, breaking it all down, letting us know what, what's involved, uh, letting us know what this might mean if this does actually uh, go through. And, uh, and then we'll obviously stick with it and stay around for some follow-ups probably getting it out to the people on our Substack. Don't forget, you can catch bonus information, not just the episode drops, on our free Substack at newsbeat.substack.com. Full information about us and all past episodes uh, at usnewsbeat.com. 
Uh, we're also, I understand, uh, working with our friends over at Uneffing the Republic. We've got some collaborative efforts with them as well. Please check them out, unftr.com. And uh, I'm going to have you, uh, hopefully, uh, as segments on my other show, Hip Hop Can Save America. So hiphopcansaveamerica.com. You can find Newsbeat in all of those places. So just some information for folks who you know, might be tuning in, seeing us for the first time, or need to be reminded that uh, we're all out here doing these things in these different uh, outlets and venues. I'm losing track of all the crossovers. I know. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like Mork and Mindy and uh, Happy Days uh, all over again. Like those CW superhero shows. I mean. Ah, we're, we're, there we go. We're generational. <laughs> we're da- dating ourselves. Um, uh, yeah. A few more things just really quick. Please. I was going to say any closing thoughts on this episode. Yeah. Just because I, I think people are like, okay. Why does this matter at the end of the day? Because, you know, Chris and I, again, have been having conversations about how these global institutions just feel like they're toothless. You hear war crimes, nothing happens. You hear genocide, nothing seems to happen, right? Um, right. But, you know, just so people know, and, and um, our guest on this episode lays it out, South Africa and Israel are both members of the United Nations. So they are bound by the statutes of the court. And South Africa and Israel are also parties to the Genocide Convention, right? So this isn't something that, that Israel can really just dismiss out outright. I think they've said that they're going to appear and try to defend themselves and the accusations. I want to throw that out there. And Chris, if you have any closing thoughts, and I, I do think before we end this the intro to the episode, I do want to kick it to Raz Segal, who's a, a Holocaust and genocide historian, just for brief context before we get into the meat of the episode. Can do. Chris? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, among other things, what Professor Boyle's insights uh, did for me was really put the whole concept of genocide, you know, into perspective. Genocide does not have to mean the slaughtering of millions upon millions upon millions of people. Right. Again, he achieved an order regarding the Bosnia War. I think the death toll there was over a hundred thousand total. Um, specifically, you had massacres like at Srebrenica, you know, which were seven or eight thousand, I believe. Uh, Muslim Bosnians uh, who were slaughtered. But genocide is something that can take place any day in any conflict, and it is critical to call it out. So yeah, that's just among some of the many uh, insights you can get. So Rashad, one more time, introduce the clip and we'll get it going. Yeah, so this is a clip of uh, Raz Segal doing an interview with CounterPoints and Ryan Grimm. People know him from The Intercept. Again, Segal is a expert in, in genocide studies and the Holocaust, and he breaks down sort of what Chris was just saying, actually, some more context about genocide and what it means. All right, let's get into it. A lot of lay people who uh, hear the claim that Israel is carrying out a genocidal attack often respond by saying that's, that's wildly inflammatory. It does a disservice to the memory of, of the Holocaust. What does that critique get wrong? What are some misconceptions about what genocide is? Yeah, well, there's a, one of the misconceptions about genocide is that it's about uh, killing all the members of the targeted group uh, immediately or very quickly, and that's how genocide is supposed to look like. This is just actually wrong. The only way that we can actually think about uh, genocide is according to the UN Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide from December 1948, and we'll come back to that in a second. But uh, it's important to mention that uh, this misconception about what genocide is is also based on a misconception of actually what the Holocaust was, because this this misconception is basically based on the idea that genocide is supposed to look like the Holocaust. And for many people, the Holocaust is about just 
the Nazis killing all the Jews immediately, which was not the case. The Holocaust, actually, when you really look at the history of the Holocaust, it shows us that genocide is a process. The Holocaust was a process. And the process involved two and a half years, actually, of the Nazis attacking Jews, uh, uh, including killing Jews, uh, uh, but various forms of mass violence against Jews, and experimenting mostly with forced displacement, with what we call more commonly, quote, ethnic cleansing, right? That is pushing uh, uh, as many Jews as possible out of German-controlled territories, expanding German-controlled territories during the war. So from the fall of 1939, for two and a half years until the spring of 1942, this process of ethnic cleansing intensified in various ways in the context, primarily in the context of the war, so that by the spring of 1942, the Germans arrive at their final version of, quote, this final solution of the German, of the Jewish question, that is to kill every Jew within German reach. But it takes two and a half years. Uh, it involves many other forms of mass violence, ghettoization, starvation, forced labor, but again, mostly forced displacement, ethnic cleansing. So it's important to say that this misconception about what genocide is, is actually rooted in a misconception of what the Holocaust was. All right, there you have it. Once again, on behalf of Chris and Rashad, I'm Manny Faces. This is Newsbeat, and this is our episode, The Genocide Case Against Israel. This is one of the most important and terrifying documents published in our time. It is the case submitted by South Africa in the International Court of Justice, and it accuses Israel of genocide. Now, what is so chilling about this document is that it reads as though you are somehow reading a great crime from the past as it seeks to explain how this monumental horror was made possible to a public which is astounded that such an atrocity could ever have been tolerated at the time. But this is happening now, right now, as I speak and as you listen. Now, this is an extremely important point to make. In genocides in the past, there is often a historical debate later on about how much people knew at the time, and therefore how complicit they were, and whether this mass slaughter could have been stopped sooner. It's therefore our responsibility to make sure everyone does know about the mass extermination of Palestinians currently taking place in Gaza, so there are no excuses, no places to hide, and so pressure can be brought on our governments to end their complicity. That's because Western governments continue to back and arm Israel, making them directly complicit and partly responsible for one of the great crimes of our age. South Africa has made itself criminally complicit with Hamas's campaign of genocide against our people. It shares culpability for the tragic loss of human life. The State of Israel will appear before the International Court of Justice at The Hague to dispel South Africa's absurd blood libel. How tragic that the rainbow nation that prides itself on fighting racism will be fighting pro bono for anti-Jewish racists. We have no doubt that after the Jewish state brings to justice the perpetrators of the bloodiest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust, history will judge South Africa for abetting the modern heirs of the Nazis. Let me say this. I have reviewed the application and request for provisional measures of protection filed by South Africa against Israel. And based on my knowledge, judgment, and experience, uh, I believe South Africa will win 
an order of provisional measures of protection against Israel, mandating that they cease and desist from committing all acts of genocide. Now, the International Court of Justice in The Hague will begin a procedure requested by the South African government to look into an alleged Israeli genocide in the Gaza Strip. Now, South Africa has requested the court's intervention to examine evidence of alleged violations by Israel of its obligation under the Convention and Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide in relation to Palestinians in Gaza. The reason I say that is that there application request for provisional measures of protection that they filed is better than mine. I was working as the only lawyer for the Republic of Bosnia-Herzegovina, free of charge and eating my own expenses. And I won those three orders all by myself. This case is not about blame in Gitch and every Bosnian Serbs for the acts of genocide committed against the non-Serbs of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Rather, we are here because the Belgrade authorities have knowingly taken the non-Serbs of Bosnia and Herzegovina on a path to hell. Today's judgment uh, is a victory for the Bosnian victims for many that will never be found, for many who will be forgotten. But it also, I think, is a victory for all potential victims of genocide, of ethnic cleansing, of rape. Uh, for once, the Genocide Convention has been given life. This is particularly pertinent for South Africa, having lived through apartheid, having seen, and for people who have been to Palestine and Israel, they will know that now uh, what is happening in Palestine and Israel is the worst form of apartheid. It is the worst form of apartheid. And South Africa, having lived through this experience, it knows how this feels like. It knows what apartheid and now, in fact, what's now been everybody's calling a genocide. Now, in this case, South Africa has an entire team of top international lawyers working on this case. The work product is far superior to mine. I only had a week to draft my documents myself. Their documents are far superior to mine. And uh, based on that, I, I think they, they will win. Now, that being said, there are four acts of genocide they have uh, alleged from the Genocide Convention. Article 2A, killing members of the group well, right now, you know, we're probably up to uh, 30,000 dead Palestinians, if you count all the Palestinians under the rubble. In the Bosnia genocide case, in the final judgment on the uh, merits in 2007, the World Court ruled that even 7,000 dead Bosnian at Srebrenica was enough to constitute genocide. Well, we're already three to four times the uh, Srebrenica test here. And later on, I would be the attorney of record for the mothers of Srebrenica and Padrina, and I would get the prosecutor for the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia to indict Yugoslav President Slobodan Milosevic for almost every crime in the ICTY statute, including two counts of genocide, one for Bosnia in general, and the 
second floor Srebrenica. He was put on trial in The Hague. At the uh, end of the prosecution's case, he filed a motion to dismiss. That was denied, and the tribunal ruled that the uh, prosecution had put in enough evidence for his conviction beyond a reasonable doubt, and therefore he should open his defense, whereupon he died. So he never got a definitive uh, ruling there. Second, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group. Uh, serious bodily harm, well, the last figure I saw was about 40,000 uh, Palestinians in Gaza had been wounded. It's probably more than that. That could be an undercount. Mental harm, well, just turn on any of the uh, news media stations and see the mental harm to the uh, Palestinians here since October 8th. C, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. I won't go through it all here, but we have the Israeli minister uh, saying there'll be no food, no water, no fuel, no medical supplies, no nothing. The Hamas-run Gaza Health Ministry puts the Gaza death toll at nearly 23,000. And the United Nations says that as many as 40% of the casualties are children. About half the Gaza Strip's population is younger than 18. And as a new year begins, many of them have a simple wish. In 2024, I wish not to die. There is no bathroom, no food, and no drinking water. Our childhood is gone. This year is a nightmare for every child in Gaza, for every man and woman, for every elderly man and woman in Gaza. And another one saying that they should uh, reduce Gaza to Auschwitz. We all know what that means. Uh, uh, two million dead at Auschwitz, most of them Jews. It's, it's pretty clear what's going on here. And finally, D, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the uh, group. You know, there are tens of thousands of pregnant Palestinian women. All the hospitals have been destroyed. Ambulances are being destroyed. Many doctors, midwives, and nurses are being destroyed. We have uh, maybe in the area now of uh, 5,000 uh, children dead. So that is the gravamen of South Africa's complaint. An Israeli newspaper is now reporting that multiple officials in Israel are holding secret, secret meetings with other countries around the world to discuss displacing, displacing, displacing Palestinians from Gaza. You know, you know, also known as ethnic cleansing. Ethnic cleansing. Israeli Minister of Finance, meanwhile, Bezal Smotrich, says Israelis will live in Gaza. He told Israel's army radio, we must encourage, them, encourage the residents of Gaza to emigrate, emigrate as they live in hardship and poverty. The Israelis want to return to Gaza because it's a beautiful place and they will turn the desert into a prosperous, prosperous place. One of the things we realize that every school, every mosque, every second house has an access to tunnel. So this is, and, and of course, ammunition. But that's an argument for so, destroying the whole of Gaza, every single building in it. So do you have another solution how to destroy the underground tunnel city that 
This is the place where the terrorists hide. I'm not surprised at all. Uh, the highest level Yugoslav officials did the exact same thing. And uh, I turned their comments against them in the world court. I had to establish intent to commit genocide. And I used all their statements to do that. The same thing has been done here by the lawyers for South Africa. They have compiled uh, all these uh, statements after December 29. It certainly uh, establishes a compelling case of intent to commit genocide. I think that statement about reducing Gaza to uh, Auschwitz came later. I would so certainly hope they uh, either file that or uh, plead it orally. I think that it's just reprehensible. The genocidal rhetoric of some Israeli officials and their allies isn't just continuing, it's actually getting even more explicit and more threatening as the assault on Gaza continues. Now on a recent radio show in Israel, a local official called to flatten Gaza like Auschwitz today. The interview was in Hebrew, but according to Haaretz's translation, here's what the conversation contained. Asked what should be done with the Gaza Strip, should his plan be plan with regard to its residents be enacted? Azoulay explained that it should be left empty, just like Auschwitz, a museum. So the whole world will learn what the state of Israel can do. We're, we're dealing here with a Nazi mentality. As for the uh, Biden administration, if you have a look at the uh, Genocide Convention, Article 3E prohibits and uh, criminalizes complicity in uh, genocide. Clearly, the Biden administration has been aiding and abetting Israeli genocide against the Palestinians, giving them all the uh, weapons, artillery shells, 2,000-pound bombs, a shipment last week. In addition, we have the U.S.'s own Genocide Convention Implementation Act that would be applicable here as well, that they're violating that criminal conduct. South Africa's filed this 84-page lawsuit against Israel, accusing them of genocide. Israel says that this is blood libel. Does Washington agree? And where does this put Washington and Pretoria? We find this uh, submission meritless, counterproductive, and uh, completely without any basis in fact whatsoever. So it doesn't surprise me that uh, Kirby would say that because they're, they're all guilty. All these Bidenites are guilty of the crime of uh, complicity of genocide under the Genocide Convention and the U.S. government's own Genocide Convention Implementation Act. First, we have to understand here the Genocide Convention goes back to the Nazi Holocaust against the Jews. It will be recalled that in December 1946, the General Assembly, by unanimous vote, affirmed that genocide is a crime under international law, which the civilized world condemns, and for the commission of which principles and accomplices are punishable. It was intended to prevent another Nazi Holocaust against the Jews. That is why Article 1 requires all contracting parties, 153 states, to prevent genocide. That is why uh, the mere filing of this 
lawsuit against Israel is, is a severe body blow against them. When that order comes down about a week after the hearings, based on my experience in Bosnia, it, you know, they will live in infamy as a genocidal state. Now, as for the um, International Criminal Court, the ICJ is the World Court, known as the World Court. It is uh, the judicial organ of the United Nations uh, Charter. All UN member states are parties automatically to the ICJ statute and are uh, obligated to obey its decisions. It was founded in uh, 1921. It was the idea at that time of the United States. You can read about this in my book, uh, Foundations of World Order. The ICC is newer, basically founded around 2000. It has not done one damn thing to help the Palestinians. They are rotten, corrupt, and despicable. Since taking over as ICC's chief prosecutor in 2021, Karim Khan has been described as hostage to the Israeli narrative. At the same time as his visit, in Gaza, more evidence of Israel's war crimes. Khan was given graphic examples of Israel's human rights violations in the occupied territories, including accounts of state-sponsored murder and sexual violence. Palestinians who met with Khan asking not to be identified told Al Jazeera the chief prosecutor was trying to create a false balance. He lectured, became defensive, and seemed to lack basic knowledge about the ground realities of the occupation and the ongoing horrors of the war in Gaza. Some, angered by his time constraints, stormed out, one calling Khan a hypocrite and coward for not condemning Israeli crimes. An official from the foreign ministry who was there said it was a disappointing first impression. His statement when he left Palestine as if he is trying to do a, a balance between the occupier and the occupied people. Both sidism is not acceptable, especially from a body that's responsible for international justice, especially criminal justice, that he should be following, as he said so many times, the evidence. I advised Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas to accept the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court for Palestine right after Operation Cast Lead concluded in 2009, which he did. And the ICC has not lifted one finger since 2009 to help the Palestinians. If the ICC had begun to indict Israeli officials in 2009, Perhaps all this could have been avoided and all the subsequent death and destruction of the Palestinians after 2009 could have been uh, avoided the, the deterrent effect. At least that was my hope in so advising President Abbas. The ICC has all the blood of the Palestinian people on its hands since 2009. Israel surprised international observers this week by announcing that it will engage with the International Court of Justice to defend against accusations of genocide made by South Africa. Israel has typically refused to appear before the ICJ, but has denounced the accusations by South Africa as a blood libel. It could have monumental consequences. For example, after I won my first world court order, 
I walked out of the uh, grand courtroom of the uh, Hague into the foyer with all the world news media there. And I conducted a press conference holding the order. And I said, the world court has just determined that genocide is going on by Yugoslavia against the uh, Bosnians. All governments, parties to the genocide convention have an obligation to stop the genocide. And therefore, I am calling for direct military intervention by all states of the world to save the uh, Bosnians against the uh, Yugoslavs. A few hours later, Washington, D.C. and uh, NATO headquarters announced that they were instituting an air interdiction zone against Bosnia, where they would shoot down uh, any Yugo planes, jets, helicopters, or anything like that. So the Yugos could no longer murder the Bosnians from the sky. I'm not saying the same thing's going to happen here. It's really up to South Africa to decide what they're going to do with the order. They will take it to the Security Council for enforcement. If the Americans veto it, like they did Nicaragua's order in 1984, South Africa can take it to the UN General Assembly for enforcement under the Uniting for Peace resolution. That could have very severe consequences for Israel. Every state party to the Genocide Convention, 153, will have an obligation to prevent Israeli genocide against the Palestinians. And it will then be up to each and every state to decide what they are going to do. In the Bosnia case, I had the entire world behind me and the international court knew it and everyone knew it. The political dynamics here are very different. South Africa, the Palestinians are up against the United States government, the Israelis, the British, many European governments, and Zionist uh, forces all over the world. So it will be an incredible battle. There's no question at all about that.